If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. You're about to miss out. It is time. It is time for you to start sharing the knowledge you already have and get paid for it. Amy Porterfield's signature program, Digital Course Academy, is open and welcoming in a fresh class of students for a short amount of time. And trust me when I say you're going to want to be one of them. This program taught me everything I know about creating, selling, launching, and automating online courses. Courses that have made me millions of dollars, but beyond that, courses that have given me the time, freedom, and impact that I crave. Enroll today and get started at jennacutcher.com forward slash DCA. Plus, when you join the Digital Course Academy with my link, I am also giving you an entire Jenna Kutcher bonus experience. I've literally thought through everything that you would want from me to help you implement and get success fast with Amy's system. It's like the queen of courses, Amy, and the queen of simplification, me, teamed up to ensure that you follow through, implement, and have every tool in your toolkit. I'm talking templates, private trainings, insights into my own launches, and so much more, all waiting for you free when you join DCA. Time is running out. Head to jennacutcher.com forward slash DCA to get your course and my special bonus offer before the doors close on September 28th. Again, that's jennacutcher.com forward slash DCA. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast episode number 213. I'm opening up for your questions and this time we're getting a little personal. I am so excited to be able to answer some of your biggest questions today on the show. And these episodes are so fun for me because it's so interesting what you guys are curious about. All of these questions were fielded from our Gold Digger podcast insiders group on Facebook, which if you're not a member of, you are totally missing out. This is where we get all of our amazing questions for any of our Ask Jenna Anything episodes. And so before we dive on into today's show, I want to read a review from Ariel Kuhn. It says, I can't say enough. Listen in. It says, every moment of the Gold Digger podcast is worth the time and more. It's like a business summit, a friendly chat over coffee, an encouraging sermon directed to your heart all at once. It doesn't matter where you're at in your business. It'll speak to you and encourage your heart in all that you endeavor. There are downloads, tools, and notes to go along with every episode. You'll never be bored and you'll always have something to work on. I would recommend this podcast to anyone and everyone. Jenna is friendly and fun and gets to the depth of issues as well as hosts amazing 
amazing women she interviews for practical steps to enhance business. I can't say enough. Listen in. I had to smile at this review, Ariel, because when I was explaining podcasting to my grandparents, I was like, it's kind of like a radio show and a sermon, except for I don't make everyone say amen at the end. And they kind of understood, I think. So without further ado, let's dive on into Ask Jenna Anything Personal. I'm spilling the beans. Are you guys ready? You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Buckle up because we're getting personal today. I'm always just so shocked that people care about my personal life. It's so funny to me because truly, 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 I am a super boring person. And nobody believes me when I say that. Like legitimately boring. But you guys piped in some amazing questions in the Gold Digger Podcast Insiders group. And so we fielded the most common questions. And today I'm diving deep into things like tattoos and relationships and feeling like a fraud and how many kids we want and so much more. So Let's kick this off with Casey Walker's question. It says, how do you push yourself through hard times in life and in business? Man, there have definitely been just a lot of seasons. And I love to talk about seasons when it comes to life because it reminds me that not everything lasts forever. Sometimes when you're in the thick of something really hard, it just feels like it's going to be this way. Like nothing is going to change. I know after our losses, I was just in this dark place where I couldn't imagine feeling true joy again. And I'm so happy to report that it wasn't the end. It was just a season. And so especially when it comes to when life happens, that it really impacts your business. And I wanted to build a business that could stand even while I was resting. And it didn't always look like this. I've shared many times on the show how when we went through our first miscarriage, I had no team. I was just on my own. I was in the middle of a big launch and I had to show up even though I was in the throes of grief. And just seeing the transformation of what my business looks like just a few years later has really proved to me that that you need support. I can be the first to admit that I suck at asking for help. Like I'm the worst at it. I am the kind of person who would rather do everything on her own than to ask for help. And so I've had to learn how to flex my ask for help muscle. (laughs) And pregnancy has really taught me a lot about slowing down and getting support and help. But when you are looking at hard times in life and in business, I want to encourage you that it's okay to just be. You don't always have to push your way through. Sometimes there is a need to just be still. And I hope that you can recognize that and know, you'll know in your gut when the right time is to get back up and moving forward. 
Ida Glowick says, I want to know how you keep showing up every day, even on the days you feel drained or really just don't feel like it. This is such a great question. And honestly, there are many days that I don't want to show up. There are many times where it just feels like too much. But one of the things that has really helped me when it comes to running a business and being an Instagram personality and showing up for people like you, the listeners, is remembering the power of one. I think so often we get overwhelmed with numbers. I'm a numbers girl. I love them. We see the number of followers or the number of downloads or the number of income. But when I reel it in and think about the power of one, what if this message could change one life? What if this episode could inspire one person? What if this post was exactly the one thing that somebody needed to read? And I really find myself leaning back on the power of one because otherwise the responsibility can just feel like too much sometimes. And so first things first, I don't show up every day. not in the least. There are many days where I am just head down, working in my yoga pants on my computer and really focusing. But I do make an attempt to show up for my friends, to show up for my husband, to show up for my family, and of course, to show up for you, the followers. And so I think it's really important to recognize that we all need rest and that it's okay to step away, and that we've built something bigger than ourselves. But never forget the power of one. I think that's what really keeps me going and what really helps me to craft messages that reach the masses. Because at the end of the day, I'm speaking to one in a way that makes it feel so much more personal. Maggie McGaw says, although unlike you, I am not famous, I have a huge struggle making genuine friends. Any tips on forming relationships without fear of being hurt? I've gotten pretty lonely. So Maggie, thank you so much for your honesty. First off, I feel like so many of us can relate. Drew and I, the other night, were talking about how since we recently moved into a new state and a new city, that it almost feels like online dating, trying to make friends. And you go through all these awkward phases, like, should I text them? Is that too eager? Should we try to make plans? And I'll be the first to admit I'm a total hermit. I've become really introverted, which I'll talk about in this show. But I think sometimes, like all things in life, you have to put yourself out there. And for me, it's all about pursuing fewer relationships that have more depth. And so for us, getting plugged into a church right away was huge. Getting plugged into a gym right away was huge, where it kind of forced us to be present, to have conversations, to get to meet people. And we're looking for other ways to constantly make friends. But I would just say any situations you can put yourself in where you can't just stare at your phone or put in headphones or you're forced to actually interact with other humans can be a really great way to connect. And just remember, you're not alone. I think so many of us are out here feeling lonely and wondering like, how the heck do you make friends later in life? Especially like we work from home. So there's really no reason that I need to see a single human and I'm totally cool with it. Drew, on the other hand, is more extroverted and could talk to a wall. So we have to find that balance and find it well. Jamie Devergillo says, what are your three favorite things about yourself? 
Oh, it's so hard. You guys would think that I like knew these things down pat. I think number one is just my work ethic. Like I will work from sunup to sundown if it means getting something done that's important to me. Yesterday, I recorded eight podcast episodes in one day. And Drew was just like, I am so inspired by you. Like you sit down and you get it done. No excuses. So definitely my work ethic. I think that my heart for impact is something that I've really learned to admire about myself. For so long, I believed the lie that I was just chasing income and kind of masking that with some limiting beliefs I had and just realizing that everything I do can impact someone else. And that's a really beautiful thing. And I have learned to really love my body. And I say that with hesitation because there are definitely days that I really, really struggle. But the more that I look at myself, the more that I see beauty. And it hasn't always been that way. And so I look at my body for what it can do and not what it isn't. And just that transformation that I've taken you guys on the ride with is something that I've really learned to love about myself. And it's a favorite thing. Christina Maldonado says, how do you get over what people thought about you so that you could build your business? So I was recently at a retreat and there was this little pool party and I was kind of answering people's questions and hanging out with different female entrepreneurs. And I remember this one girl came up to me and she asked a very similar question. And I said, well, what's holding you back? And she goes, I just can't get past what other people think about me. And I said, but do they actually think that or are you projecting your impression of their thoughts onto them? And she said, gosh, I don't know. And I think a lot of times when we think about what people think about us, I know that sentence sounds overwhelming, we have these really deep insecurities. And so we project those insecurities onto other people. And guess what? If I have learned anything, chances are people aren't even thinking about you. I want that to like not be a slap in the face, but to be this like empowering lift of freedom. Because when we get so consumed with things like the way our Instagram looks or what our bio says or what kind of captions we're typing, we are overanalyzing ourselves. And guess what everyone else is doing? They're overanalyzing themselves. No one is hitting refresh on your feed. No one is rereading your caption for the 20th time and judging it. And so when you start to think about what people are thinking about you, a lot of times you need to dig into where those insecurities are coming from and how you can combat them with truth. And so... I have learned that people will always have opinions. And while some of them can be entirely hurtful, a lot of times everyone else is so consumed with their own lives that their knees deep in what they're doing, they're not really paying attention. And so nobody wins when you play small. And I've just been really forced to kind of step into what I believe to be my truth and what I know I can do in the world, regardless of what someone else thinks. And if they're thinking awful things, it's more of a reflection on them. And I know, I know people say stuff like this all the time and you understand that, but when it's happening to you, it feels so personal. But I just know that I can't impact the world in the way that I want to if all I'm doing is guessing what other people are thinking about me. 
Kelsey Carlson Settle says, how are you feeling about balancing being a boss lady and a new mama? Well, as this episode airs, there may be a baby involved. It's so overwhelming and so crazy to even think about. I am honestly not stressed because, and let me, let me preface this with because. So three years ago when we started this whole journey, I remember that I was just filled with so many fears about it. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this baby and all the hard things I've been working for are just going to feel so insignificant. And I'm going to look at my entrepreneurial journey and be like, why was I working so hard? This doesn't even matter. And I had all these fears about like, am I going to lose momentum? Are people going to stop following me? What's going to happen? And I think that looking at our journey into parenthood and the hard things that happened with that, I have really been given this gift and it is sincerely a gift that I hope that this baby makes my business feel insignificant and I'm ready to love something more than my business. And I think that really a lot of work has just been done. I feel like I've been trying to prepare for the last three years and and I'm just excited to enter this new season. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's not going to be easy. And I know there are definitely going to be struggles. But at the same point too, I have so much confidence that what I've built can allow me to rest, that I don't have to work around the clock or work 12-hour days or never take a day off in order to keep this thing going. I've built something so much bigger than myself and my audience cares about me. So they're ready to transition, whatever that looks like. And so there is definitely fear involved, but I think I've just never been more ready. And I'm so excited about Baby Kutch entering the world. So it's just crazy to think about. Joanne Meyer White says, what's the best advice you were ever given when you were starting out? Oh, goodness gracious. I'm trying to think, but this isn't advice, but this is one of my biggest takeaways that I've taken with me every single step of my business. So when I was first starting out, I had a lot of fear. I mean, I still have fear to this day, but I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of what ifs. What if this fails? What if people laugh at me? What if nobody pays me? What does this look like? And what really helped me was writing down these fears, like actually breathing them into life, which sounds scary. But when I did that, then I would write the three steps I would take if this happened. So what if nobody books me? okay, well, then I need to update my resume and go and get another corporate job. What if I fail? Well, guess what, Jenny? You have experience and that experience stands for something and you'll likely get hired. No job would fault you for trying to do something on your own that you believed in. And once I started creating these mini action plans around my greatest fears, suddenly I wasn't as scared. And even to this day, when I embark on something that kind of gives me that pit in my stomach, I ask myself, what is my biggest fear around this? And then I create a three-step action plan and it kind of takes the power out of the fear. So 
I would say that is my best advice, especially for somebody starting out is write those fears into existence, create a plan around them so that you can just let them go and move on to bigger things. Lindsay Froming says, you've mentioned that you don't love the word hustle. I would love to know more about that and why. So here's the deal. I don't hate the word hustle. I don't like to use it very much because I think it's become a catchphrase in the entrepreneurial world. But one thing I've always kind of wrestled with, especially when it comes to educators, is so many of us have these stories of this hustle year. And a lot of times the hustle leads to burnout. And I think it's like the mama instincts in me where I want to protect you guys from ever hitting that low, low, low point of burning out. But at the same point too, when I think about hustle, I think that it kind of glorifies being busy. And I love that saying that busy is not a badge of honor. And so When we are starting out as entrepreneurs, I think one of the most common used words is how are you? And then you say busy and people are like, well, that's great. That means your business is doing great. But at the same point too, busy insinuates hustle, which insinuates lack of systems or gaps that might be in your business. And so the word hustle alone, I don't hate, but I want to teach people to work from a place of rest and not a place of stress. And so I would rather teach people to create systems that give them back their life instead of glorifying being busy. So that's why I don't really love the word hustle. And there's definitely seasons of hustle in business. But if being an entrepreneur means hustling day in and day out, I think maybe there's a lack of systems in what you're building. Christine Sandberg says, how have your friendships with friends and family changed or grown because of your business, specifically friends you knew before you were Insta famous? So This was a really great question and something I've actually been wrestling with a lot in my life. Relationships have changed a lot and I have touched on it a little bit, but I've never really kind of dug in to what it looks like. Before we had this business and this quote fame, which I still don't feel famous, you know, I was very, very extroverted. I love to be out and about. I love to meet new people. I love to be seen. And as our platforms grew and and as people's knowledge of us grew and, and our following grew, it really started to shift things. And I think because We have such personal brands and because I am such a giver in terms of free content and advice and and always serving my audience, I think that people felt like I was super accessible. And a lot of times people don't understand how much is demanded of us. I probably get a few hundred DMs a day. And a lot of them are people trying to get access to us, whether it's to send us a product so that we post about it and help grow their following or to get advice on the brand that they want to start or to look at their profile to tell them why they're not growing or to go to coffee so they can pick our brains. And it's been really hard for me. Like Drew handles it so much better, but I also don't think the demands are as big on him. But I've had a really hard time trusting people and it's made me build up really, really high walls. 
I am a very private person, which I'll talk about because somebody asked about that. And so I have a handful of really good friends, mostly my college friends that I was roommates with. And those are the people that I feel like I can kind of share everything with. And then of course my family, but it's been hard for me to trust people and it's something I'm working on, but people just, I feel like people always want something from me and our relationship always starts off so lopsided if they follow me. And I feel like I'm always on the defense and I struggle a lot with feeling like I need to be what people expect me to be. And there's a really good episode. Amy Schumer is on Oprah's Super Soul Sessions and she's talking about how introversion causes her when she's in the public and meeting people or fans that like she gets so drained because she's being what she thinks they want from her. And so it's just it's interesting. And it's changed a lot for me. I feel like people come out of the woodwork that I haven't spoken to in years that now want something or need advice or want me to help them with something. And so I'm really working on just trusting people more and protecting my best yeses and being a little bit more open minded to relationships. So thank you for that question, Christine. Elena Schlusner says, seriously, where do you shop for clothes for you, clothes for your husband, furniture, decor? I know you are open and take a lot of the places, but I need to know everything. <laughs> so truth be told, I sincerely do live in Aerie. Right now I have on their leggings, their bra, their underwear, and their sweatshirt. I just love Aerie. I love the company. I love the people. For jeans, I really do love NYDJ. They're the first pants that actually fit my curves. They feel good. They're really comfortable. So I'm really thankful for them. I love Nordstrom. We are super fortunate because I get a lot of clothes for free, which is incredible. But it also creates this problem where I have so many things and, you know, pregnancy makes things not fit quite normal. So it's crazy to look into a full closet and be like, I have nothing to wear today. I'm just going to wear an old t-shirt. Drew likes to wear a lot of athletic things. So he shops more at like Rogue and Reebok and that kind of stuff. He loves CrossFit t-shirts. He's a big t-shirt guy. And then furniture and decor. I actually do a lot of shopping on Wayfair. Our couch is from Article. And I don't know, I love to like follow Instagram accounts. And then that's usually how I make purchasing decisions, which is kind of hilarious. So we shop all over the place. Amanda Stats Peters says, tell us about your tattoos. Guys, I totally didn't want to answer this question. So for the record, I'm 30. I haven't gotten a tattoo since I was 19. So if that tells you anything about my earlier life decisions. So I have four tattoos. <laughs> The first one I got was when I turned 18. Me and my best friend Jenna got tiny little four leaf clovers on our hips that are easily hidden by swimsuits. And we just thought it would be funny to get tiny tattoos that nobody knew about. I also got my belly button pierced at that time of life. And I have a cross on my lower back, which, yes, it is a tramp stamp. Guys, leave me alone. It was the year of like 2006. Okay. Eva Longoria has one 
one just like it. And I saw it in a magazine and my dad actually came with me when I got it. And my mom made me tape across to my back for a day to make sure I wanted it. So that one was two. Number three is one on my hip and it's a hilarious story, but it says till the end and it has four hearts and it's with my best friends from gymnastics. And we were actually at a cabin weekend. The four of us, we grew up together in the gym. We were together every day when we were kiddos and it was super spontaneous, super spur of the moment. And you're going to love this fact, but it was inspired by Rihanna's song Umbrella We're going to stick it out till the end. And so we all four got the same tattoo on our hip. And just a funny memory, we literally went that day and got it. So clearly not a lot of thought, but we did it. And it was some memory. And then... The last one I have is on my wrist and it's a dove and then it says the word faith. And I got that one in college my freshman year. I was kind of a party girl when I first got to college and about a semester in, I was like, I can't do this. This is so not me. Like, I don't like to drink. I had kind of gone off the rails a little bit and I made the decision to stop drinking for the entire year and the next year and to just focus on my faith and to kind of come back to center. And so those are my four tattoos and most of them are hidden all of the time. But every once in a while, it sneaks into Instagram and then you guys ask questions. So safe to say I haven't gotten a tattoo since after I was 18, but I got four right in a row. And I kind of wish I could take them off and just start fresh potentially. But I haven't loved anything enough to permanently put it onto my body since. So uh, you live and you learn, I guess, right? <laughs> Leticia Renari says this is half business related, but a big personal thing for me. How do you go about keeping your privacy when the online world makes it so hard for anything to stay private? So I love this question, Leticia, because people have this notion that we put everything out there. It's so interesting to me to meet people in real life and to see how connected they are to us, to our story, to our journey. And it has really taught me the power of messaging and storytelling. But here's the truth, you guys, like we are really private people. Like we share 1% of our lives on our feeds. And if you actually go through my captions, you'll start to notice that when I share things, I'm sharing stories. I'm not sharing specific facts. I'm not sharing specific moments. I'm sharing stories or the way that I feel about something. And it opens the door for more conversations and to feel like it's personal. But at the same point in time, what we're sharing online is just a tiny piece of the puzzle. And I think because we were so public about our struggles with fertility, our miscarriages, and the way that I talk about body image, people just assume that we put everything out there. But there are so many aspects of my life that I really covet and hold close and choose to not share online. So you have to be very 
conscious of what you feel comfortable sharing. Um, we've done definitely different things to kind of protect our privacy in terms of where we live, what we're sharing in terms about where we are. I never post in real time because people sometimes show up where I am. And so we've kind of learned to post after the fact so that people don't know exactly where we are. But when it comes to what I post online, it's things that I would feel comfortable telling my grandma or things I would tell someone I was sitting next to on a plane. And I let you in just enough so that you really feel like you know me and trust me, but I still really protect my energy and privacy for sure. So if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't put it out there. You don't being vulnerable does not mean that you have to lay out all of your garbage online so that people can see that you're real. Bethany Lamott says, what was your ultimate goal when you became a full-time photographer? Is where you are now a surprise or was it a long-term goal? Oh my gosh, this was not the plan, guys. <laughs> Somebody just asked me this at a retreat I was speaking at and I kind of smiled because honestly, my goal was to get out of corporate America. Like, that was the goal. Sure, I loved wedding photography, but more than wedding photography, all I wanted was to not have to work 50 hours a week in a windowless office. And so when I look at how crazy this journey has been, I never, never in a million years dreamt it. I never thought I'd have a podcast. I never thought that I would do Instagram collaborations. I never dreamt that I would teach courses. I never dreamt that we'd have a Hawaii condo. And as things have happened, I feel like I just continue to believe in the power of possibility. I feel like anything is possible. But really, this whole thing started out of a place of desperation. I just wanted out. And slowly, I've just kind of tuned into what I'm curious about, what I'm passionate about, what people are asking me all the time. How can I impact people? What does this look like? And I've just kind of followed those ideas and those curiosities. And it's led me to where we are today. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there are so many times last night, for example, Drew and I were laying in bed and we were just kind of talking about business and things and maternity leave and what that looks like. And we were both just shocked. Like we were like, how did this happen? Like I have worked my butt off, but there have been so many twists and turns. And so I could have never dreamt of this life for me. But right now I just feel so fulfilled and so excited about what we have planned. Amanda Brooks says, what was the last book you've read? Okay, so I made a pact earlier this year to only read books for fun. So for so long, I was reading all these business books and marketing books and webinar books and all of these books. And it was almost just overwhelming me. It was making me feel behind. It was making me feel like I needed to implement right now to be successful. And so I kind of stopped reading. And then when Drew and I made the commitment to not have cell phones in our bedroom, I was like, I just want to read before bed every night. And so I've been reading books for fun. I read Kristen Hanna, The Great Alone. That was a great book. I'm reading Crazy Rich Asians right now because I want to read it before I see the movie. I've read Little Fires Everywhere, A Man Called Ove. There are so many books that I've read for fun. And it's just been a really cool way to enjoy reading again. And then if I want to listen to a business book, I'll listen like on Audible. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to ingest and I get a lot uh, further because when I read business books, I like fall asleep right away. 
Julia Cheech says, how did you handle trying to conceive after your losses? So this is a question we get asked a lot. And there is just so many emotions that go into this. And everyone's journey looks different. For me, I needed to take a lot of time off from that process. It was just too emotional, too raw. I needed to heal both physically and mentally. And so after each miscarriage, I took almost a full year off. I just couldn't imagine putting myself back in that situation and knowing what the outcome could be again. And so in those seasons of healing, I really just tried to come back to my body, come back home to myself. So when we decided to try again for the third time, I was really emotional about it, but we decided to start trying again when we were in Hawaii. It was when I was most relaxed. It was when I was most happy and least stressed. And, you know, you're just reminded of that roller coaster again. And so, I think that it was hard, like it was really hard. And when we found out we were pregnant for the third time, I immediately started writing letters to our baby. And the other day I was just reading back and it's crazy how much of an emotional roller coaster it was. You know, the first post was the day I found out I was pregnant and I was like, I feel grounded. I feel ready. I feel like this is our time. And then the next letter was like, are you even there? Is this going to happen? I don't want to love you because I'm afraid I'm going to lose you. And, and, you know, there's just so much emotion and fear and uncertainty that goes into it. And so my advice would just be to have a support system. It can be really small, but to be able to talk. And if you like to write, I would encourage you to write. But for me, going into it the third time, I knew that I needed to have certainty that I had done everything I possibly could to make this a success. So I had changed a lot of my lifestyle habits. I had really focused on lowering my cortisol, my stress levels. I had swapped out toxic products. I had progesterone on hand and all of these things. And so I just felt like I have done everything I possibly can. Now it's up to the Lord to bless us and uh, to pray that my body can sustain. So for anyone out there that is trying or struggling with that, I, I get it. And it's really hard and it's so emotional and it's this roller coaster. And I just pray that you can find community because it can be super isolating and hard to walk through alone. Bree Wren says, I'm interested in your relationship history prior to Drew. What did you learn from those dates, relationships? How did you know what you wanted in a husband at such a young age? Your marriage inspires me. So here's a funny fact, you guys. Drew was the first actual boyfriend that I brought home ever. Guys, I was like 20, 21, 20-ish, 21. We got married. I was 23 and I did not date a lot growing up. So Here's the thing. I went on a lot of dates, but I was always so picky. I knew what I wanted. I wasn't going to settle. So I never had someone that I called a boyfriend until Drew. And my mom would always laugh because I would go on dates and she'd be like, how was it? And I'm like, eh, it was fine. I just knew that I was always looking for a husband, which let's be honest, when you're in college, it's not fun. It's like so much pressure. I swear I would like meet a guy and within 10 seconds, I'd be like, mm, potential husband. Mm, no, potential husband. 
And so I just always approach dating from a very serious place, which I wish I maybe would have had a little bit more fun, but I didn't really settle ever. And so when Drew and I started dating, I remember just being like, it's so weird to say the word boyfriend. And we never broke up while we were dating. And obviously, then we went on to get married. And so I think I just always had very high standards. I think I always knew that I deserved someone great. And with Drew, he was my best friend. And so it was this very easy transition into dating each other. It was a little awkward, but it was super easy because we already knew everything about each other. We didn't have to go through all those phases. And so, you know, it's just funny to look back. I didn't have my first kiss until I was like 16, I think. I was just kind of a late bloomer all around. And so that was interesting. And a lot of my friends in college got married really young. So getting married young didn't really scare me. When we were 23, we had both graduated. We both had jobs. It was like, what else are we waiting for? And so it totally made sense. Olivia Munter says, do you ever doubt your own body positivity? I personally struggle with this a lot. And sometimes I'll catch myself saying, I love myself the way I am. And then immediately worry that I'm using this as an excuse to not exercise or not eat healthier or not book that spin class. Sometimes it feels like mental gymnastics just to come back to the conclusion that my body is good the way it is. I guess I'm wondering if you can relate to this. So absolutely. One of the biggest things about the body positivity movement that I really want to teach other people is that it's not about complacency. Like when you actually love your body, you want to fuel it well, you want to move it often. And so you don't look at food and exercise as like a reward or a punishment, but more as like a means of living your best life. And I think that what I worry about the body positivity movement is that it promotes complacency or this whole treat yourself lifestyle. And while I think it is a beautiful piece of it, I think that the bigger picture of body positivity needs to be being the healthiest version of you. And I definitely struggle with this. There is no like one track to like suddenly you wake up and you feel beautiful every day. Like it is a choice every single day and it's not an easy one. And it's one that we often make the wrong choice on. But at the same point too, I feel like especially being this like poster child thrust into the body positivity movement, I think it's about really trying to define inner beauty, not by what the scale says, not by what you look like, but really just waking up and feeling at home in your body. And I love the quote that if hating ourselves got us anywhere, wouldn't we have already arrived? And so when you genuinely love yourself, I feel like you want the best for yourself. And that includes the way that you eat and the way that you work out. And of course, treat yourself every once in a while, but don't use that as an excuse saying, well, I love myself, so I should eat this double cheeseburger. You know, you know what I'm saying? So that's my tangent. Jenna Redfield asked, how did you learn all of the things you teach? And let me just say, I don't feel like an expert in anything. Isn't that funny? Like, I don't feel like I've quote made it. I don't feel like an expert. 
I don't feel like a professional. I still feel like I'm faking it to make it. But Truly, I have learned just so much on my own personal journey. I really dig deep into development. I want to constantly be learning. I feel like every day is school. And also in that, it's like surrounding myself with people smarter than me. Like, my team all has very different skill sets, different strengths, and I learn from them all the time. But I think that a lot of times I am forced to just put my head down to experiment, to try things out. And what I love about experimenting is things are not a success or a failure. It's like it worked or we need to tweak it a little bit. It kind of takes the pressure off of things. And so, so much of what I teach is just based on me experimenting, me figuring out what works and then figuring out how I can get results for other people. And I always try to look at that end result. What do I want people to get from this? And then what are the steps that they need to take to see that result? Brooke Hill says, how many kiddos do you want? Well, we'll see how this first one goes. But in all honesty, I would be really, really thankful if we were able and blessed to have two children. I come from a family of three. Drew comes from a family of two. Being outnumbered stresses me out. I feel like there are two of us. We can handle two children. But I'm just really excited to embark on this journey with an open heart and an open mind to see how it goes. I've been pretty honest, but pregnancy hasn't been very easy for me. Uh, it hasn't felt very natural. And so there were many times during my pregnancy where I was like, Drew... I don't think I can do this again. And so, yeah, we'll see how all of this goes. Sarah Marie Doherty says, would you ever write a book? Is that in your cards? Because I would absolutely buy a book that you wrote. So I have gotten many book deals. Funny, right? Because there's no book. It is so interesting to me because when I don't have the pressure of writing, I could write all day. You could tell me a word and I could write 10 pages on it. But the thought of having a deadline and having people proof it and edit it and all of that just totally freaks me out. And so I know that there will be a book someday. I just don't feel like I have the story in me yet, which might sound shocking. I don't know. I just don't feel interesting enough. Like, I don't want to read a book about myself, which makes me feel like nobody would want to read a book. But I feel like if I could really nail down like what it would be about and what I would want the end result to be, it would really help me to write a great book, to share some experiences, to share some stories and to inspire others. So if you're a book agent, now is not the time. There are many offers sitting in my inbox in a folder titled If I Write a Book, but it just... It's something that I think will happen. It's just not on the docket right now. I just haven't felt inspired in that way quite yet. And I know how much time and energy and work goes into it. We've had so many authors on this show. I'm like, oh, that sounds like awful. So we'll see. But I'll let you know, Sarah Marie. All right. The last question of the day is coming from Lisa Ponton. It says, what are you most proud of? So I'm going to share an embarrassing fact here. So I fly a lot for work and I fly almost every single month. I have flown like all over the place. And something I am most proud of, and this is so silly, is that 99% of the time I still fly coach and I will walk through first class and it's usually predominantly men. 
men in business suits, frantically texting or emailing or calling and and this feeling of importance. And you know what I'm proud of? I am proud that I probably make more money than a lot of those men sitting up in first class. But I'm also, I have a life. Like I usually get on a plane and open a book or take a nap. And it's just really taught me the importance of building something that supports the life that you want, the life that you love, and really just seeing that it is possible. Like the life that I'm living right now is a life crafted out of my deepest passions. It's crafted from a place of rest. It's crafted from a desire of impact over income, of passion over profits. And the success that has come along with that is huge. But I think that the life that we live beyond all of that is so beautiful. And so I always just kind of smile to myself like little do those guys know this girl in yoga pants flying back in coach has built this empire that is inspiring the world and that supports this life that is full of actual living. So random, right? So guys, I just want to say thank you. I mean, we're embarking on this entirely new season of life. You're not even going to notice that I'm on maternity leave because we worked our booties off to make sure that you are getting content just as you always have from us and from the brand. And I just want to say thank you. I know that as our story changes and twists and turns, it might not be aligned with you fully, but I hope that as you know my heart and you know my desire for legacy, that as we continue to show up and share the story that we're living in, that you can seek inspiration and feel that connection. I am just so thankful for this podcast, for the platform it's given me, for the ability to reach you and your earbuds wherever you are today. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being curious about us. Thank you for asking these questions. And thank you for being a part of our community. If you're tuning in today, would you take a little screenshot, post it up, let us know what you think. If you have more questions, I love love doing episodes like this where I get to connect with you, the listeners. And as we embark on this new journey of parenthood, I just hope that you guys are saying some prayers and sending some encouragement our way. We're really, really thankful for all of your support and guidance and advice and love. So until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. 
We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top notch. Article's online only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and I was there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.